Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Uh, at the top of my screen, it says it's recording. Okay. I'm in my Yankee hat fitted, in my Yankee hoodie tonight or today, whenever you're listening or watching this podcast. I don't want to hear it. Frankly, I'm not in the mood at all. I got a lot of, a lot, a lot of ish to get off my chest, but it's the first time I have, I've had a guest on this podcast. I usually rock the show alone. I mean, I'm a solo guy, but that's okay. The man who I'm proud to say that this guy is legitimately awesome he and i have worked i'm together doing great shukri it's a network. pleasure to be um, on with you i'm looking forward radio. i think you know whenever you're on an episode with shukri there's always a lot to get to because shukri knows it all so i'm really excited to dive in tonight network go to sportsradio.com to check for the local radio affiliate in your area so john lyons sports map radio amongst other tricks of the trade how are you doing I'm I'm humbled by that, but like like I said, I'm I'm genuinely in a really I'm really pissed off right now. Like I I got a lot of I got a lot of ish to get off my chest, and um, I'm just gonna get straight straight to straight to the point. First and foremost, um, I've had a lot of time to spend, you know, just going through yeah the tweets, the reactions to last night's Puerto Rico Dominican Republic game in a World Baseball Classic. The wins and loss doesn't even matter. Yeah. Is what happened in the midst of the celebration for Team Puerto Rico. Edwin Diaz, as it turned out, he ruptured his patella tendon, and he is pretty much done for the season. And Met fans are basically riled up, angry, upset, cursing the WBC. Or oh, WBC is a sham. It shouldn't exist. Players, MLB players shouldn't be playing in the WBC. Guys can get hurt. I basically have heard... Some of the most extreme and nonsensical reactions that I have seen on social media. And I've had hours to literally let this stew for just a moment. And I've, I've let it stew for a while to the point in which that I'm going to come out and say, you jackasses who are complaining about Edwin Diaz, his injury, and the fact that it happened in the World Baseball Classic, Shut the hell up, please. Like, seriously and sincerely, do yourself a favor. Get mentally checked and get and slapped and shut the hell up, please. Because I need to reach across this screen and slap each and every one of you wild weirdos who are basically saying that 
The World Baseball Classic shouldn't even be played. They need to shut it down right now. Typical Twitter overreactions. Like, honestly, like a lot of y'all don't even make sense. Y'all don't make sense at all. So let me ask you this question. Where was the outrage when Freddie Freeman was injured? You realize that injuries can happen at any given time in sports, in baseball. It can happen at any given time. Where was the outrage when Kendrick Morales, formerly of the Anaheim Angels, Los Angeles Angels, in 2010, broke his leg celebrating a grand slam? And it just so happened that the best of the best players in, in Major League Baseball are represented in countries. And now suddenly, y'all want to turn around and talk about, well, oh, my God, shut it down. Oh, my God, the bad season is over. Like, you need, you need help. You need help. And I know that this is a, ba- a Boston sports podcast. But right now, I don't even want to, it doesn't even matter to me what's going on in Boston sports. Because yeah, and, some of the most she, idiotic yeah. well, and asinine things uh, and downright yeah, things I've seen today on Twitter was about And here's the thing, injury. right? So you're a Yankees that, fan. Oh I'm God, a Red Sox fan. If that was Aaron Judge that got injured, I'm sure you'd right be frustrated. Like, if for me, if it was you know Chris Sale who gets injured a lot anyway, if Get that help. was him, I would be frustrated. Help, but still, you like help. you said, injuries are going to come up. They're going to happen. And let's not forget, I think the last four months have been a great four months for baseball with the Aaron Judge maybe going to San Francisco. Then the Yankees come in and get him. The Padres spending spree. Some of the other, all the shortstop moves. Dansby Swanson going to the Cubs. It was a great offseason. Let's not forget, that came on the heels of a lockout last year, which was a bad offseason. As bad as it got, they started the season late. And it ended up being a solid baseball season. But you take the great hot stove stuff that we got, you parlay that into some really interesting rule changes that have had a positive impact, for the most part, a positive impact on play. And I know some people want to complain about the pitch clock and, oh, what's going to happen if it's Game 7 of the World Series? Like, Game 7 of the World Series is not going to end on a pitch clock violation, folks. Just just giving you the heads up. But here's the thing. so that's two really positive developments. And then you have the World Baseball Classic, which I know you've been watching it. It's been some oh, phenomenal yeah. baseball. And especially, I think you can make the case of all the times we've seen international baseball competitions, whether it was the Olympics back in the day or previous World Baseball Classics, this has been the best because it's been the highest right. quality of players. And look, the Edwin Diaz injury, it is sad. And if I was a Mets fan, Mets fan I would be angry. But... This World Baseball Classic, I think, is a great thing for baseball. I think if you are trying to grow the game of baseball, the number one thing that's going to help, I think, is these new rule changes because I think it's going to make the entire season more engaging, the playoffs more engaging. But the next best thing is what we've seen in this. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves, Shuri, because we're both baseball fans. How often are you on the edge of your seat for baseball in March? Like, never, right? Now with the World Baseball Classic, people are. And, And I think that is so, look. I understand the Mets fans' frustration, but the World Baseball Classic is a huge net positive for MLB, and it's a huge net positive for the sport. And I think not only is it here to stay, I think one great development, as long as there are no more major injuries, I think we're going to see consistently great players playing. We Never. see Mike Trout. We see Mookie Never. Betts. Look at look at the Dominican lineup. I mean, we yeah. see great players across the board. So, look, I understand the Mets' frustration. I, I get it. But... This is a great event. It's a good thing for the sport. And I think it's been a great four months 
for baseball. So, yeah, if you're pissed off that Edwin Diaz got hurt, that's okay. But the idea of stopping the tournament or not having it again, I just think that's just time. not that's just not in reality. It just doesn't make sense because of how good the overall product's been. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you spend enough time on Twitter, Shukri, you see that. <laughs> yeah. Fake outrage. Typical extreme fake outrage. Stop st- oh, stop the WBC. Like like pull the players out of it. Oh, oh and, and then you have morons like KFC Barstool that'll say, well, well I hope every major league baseball player in the WBC gets injured t- tomorrow. Like, what kind of a sick bastard are you? Like, really? And I, 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 and I mean every bit of that. Like, you truly are scum? You're a sick bastard for even witching that on players? And on top of that, you truly are, are disgusting. And, he, he, and I'm not just only going to call him out. I'm calling out Keith Oberman. I'm calling him out. For his, for his tweet earlier, which I'm going to read on this podcast because that really pissed me off, like, immensely. Like, I know Keith Oberman can be really, like, extreme in his, in, his, in his views or whatever, but my goodness. So this is what he tweeted out earlier today that that really just sent me through the roof. So, Keith Oberman, he said, quote, first Freddie Freeman now Edwin Diaz. The World Baseball Classic is a meaningless exhibition series designed to get you to buy another uniform to hell with the real season and split up. First of all, a lot of these guys too. Like it's not like oh where their grandmas Hold from. Like off. these guys grew up now. in Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic, or Japan. Like, like this isn't just like oh their family heritage is there. They have real strong connections. To or these places, which for I even, think it's one of the cool things about baseball and that, you know, in the Red Sox locker room, there's guys literally from all over the world. You you have players from Japan, from Latin America, from the United States. You have players from everywhere. And I think this is a way to showcase all these different places that guys are from, because I think a lot of people think and, and I'm not trying to generalize everybody, but a lot of people think, OK, Latin America is great at baseball and the U.S. is good at baseball, but maybe they don't realize how great Japan is at baseball and how great Korea is at baseball. And through these tournaments like these, people learn about that because everybody sees Shohei Otani, but then you have the entire Japanese team playing well. Like people see that or how good Puerto Rico for such a tiny, tiny island, how good they are at baseball. Like I think that it's all positive exposure. And and like I said before, this isn't just, oh, your family heritage is from there. And a lot of these guys grew up in these places. They're from these places. They have a strong connection. And I think it's cool for them to get a chance to represent these places, especially in a sport that's been in and out of the Olympics over the past 30 years. This is the real chance to showcase it on the world stage. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So represent their countries and see, seeing the reactions and Keith Oberman is getting killed on Twitter as we record this podcast and rightfully so 
But I want to dig in on, on, on an even bigger point. And I'm going to be real controversial, and, I, and, and, I, and I'm going to be real raw, and I'm not going to apologize for what I'm about to say next. What I've noticed between Keith Oberman and KFC Barstool and in terms of their reaction to Mets all-star closer Edwin Diaz's injury is that both tweets and both messages have racial undertones. And that's the other part that, 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 that genius got me really mad. Like, and I said this from the beginning of the podcast, Edwin Diaz's injury is tragic. It could have happened at any given time. But for you to go as far as, as, as where he went in terms of where your grandmother's got laid, it's like, you've got to be effing kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And the part that I think that is truly disturbing and disgusting is the fact that he's not the only one who thinks this. Like, you do realize that Freddie Freeman, ladies and gentlemen, he's American-born, but his parents are from Canada. Like, you realize that you have players that are born in the United States, but they're playing or representing Italy or Mexico. Like, I, will, I really would like to understand for the life of me, how does a player's injury lead to such an extreme reaction but of course it's 2023 i'm not surprised i'm sure you're not surprised but the extreme social media social media reaction to what we all saw yesterday at the time of this recording like to me i have a real problem with the fact that that like you're talking about how the tournament is killing the season no it was not because let me ask you this question you hypocritical bastards that are out there. Where the hell was this fucking complaint in 2006? Where was this complaint in 2009? Where was this complaint in 2013? Nowhere to be had. Where was this complaint in 2017? Nowhere to be had. But suddenly, Freddie Freeman. Yeah, and, and look, Edwin I think Shukri too. I, I, I think it's a combination like, of two things. I think part of it is pissed off Mets fans that go overboard, right? But then I think part of it. Is guys this, this that didn't like it from the beginning, and they're trying to use this and to prove their it's original like, well, it's point about, right. It's, it's about, like, oh, I told you the WBC about, was bad, no, and look, not. I was right because a guy got hurt. Well, oh, it's, okay, I, I get it, but I mean, guys get hurt in spring well, training. Are you, you saying like that's bad too? Like, I mean, guys get hurt. You know, guys on the Kansas City Royals who are out of it in mid-September get hurt in those games. Like, should they not play? Like, though? so <clears throat> look, I understand. Like, if you have a pre-existing condition or you're coming off a of surgery, yeah, maybe you should sit out the WBC because you Yeah, and, and there are guys, there are guys, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., another example, guys, guys that sat out because they had an injury concern. But if you're just going into it healthy, like, to me, there's no, what is the added risk, really? Because I know, okay, game intensity is higher than spring Bruce training Serena intensity I, I get it so maybe there's a tiny bit of added risk no, but if that means that you're going to also hit the ground running to start the regular Excellent. season and be better to start the season then the trade-off's probably worth it anyway and i think you could probably agree with me i feel like spring training has been too long for years now i mean we i mean look the season starts in the last week of march and you have guys at valentine's day at spring train do you really need that long 
Like, do, do you need? Right. So I think having this in there again, it's a good thing. And and I think a lot of the people that are really angry right now, like I said, they're either angry Mets fans or they're people that just didn't want this idea from the beginning, and they're trying to use this to prove their oh, point. Yeah. But even the point, yeah. look, Diaz, it's mm-hmm. a famous guy in a famous injury, but with him and Freeman. We're talking about, I mean, how many teams are there in this tournament? 16? We're talking about two guys on 16 total teams. That's still an extremely small percentage of guys suffering injuries. Probably not different than what we would see in a typical spring training. You know, a handful of guys across the MLB. So, look, I, I just, like, to me, that it's a great thing for baseball. And if you want the sport to be good, you should support the WBC. And I'm not saying the WBC has to be a month and a half long in this major tournament. It's two and a half weeks long. You can still go to spring training, go to the WBC, go back to spring training, be ready for the season and be fine. Correct. That's and and that is the truth. Like it, it's just as now as my as as my anger begins to subside rather a bit. I didn't think I was gonna come into the show and really be as fired up as I have been. But 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 man, when I tell you like seeing the reactions today, I said you know I'm not gonna even I'm not I'm not gonna do a reaction video. I'm not going yeah. to. Maybe I will. I don't know, but I'm not going to, at least for as of right now. But this was something that I knew I had to leave the show talking about because we are going to talk Boston sports, obviously. However, when something grander happens in the world of sports, I mean, obviously right now you got March Madness and Providence is playing right now. Hopefully they can can make another run to the Final Four or or, or whatever. Um, But we're going to talk about it. So, with that being said, I want to shift gears from the World Baseball Classic to to the Bruins. Because I made a video the other night that I know it, it, got, it got a lot of attention. And, 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 and that for me, that's not even a surprise at this point. Almost anything that I do Bruins-related or say tends to get a lot of attention on Twitter. But... The Bruins are playing as we speak at the time of this recording. They were, they were up two to nothing when I last was watching before prior to the recording. But I mentioned prior to tonight's game that I was really concerned. They have lost three out of four. And it just seemed like the shuffling of guys in and out of the lineup, especially along, along the blue line, was beginning to have some sort of a negative impact. And of course... Because Twitter is Loserville. It is extremismville. It is it is a lot of things that I truly despise and yet I love about it. People are going to be extreme in their own thoughts and gonna spew their, their hot garbage at you, whatever. But I will say this though, and then I'll turn it over to you. The Bruins right now, yes, their their priority should be self preservation. Get ready for for the playoffs, they're ready to clinch the playoff spot. 
there ain't no matter what yeah I, I would agree because at least with the Celtics and I know they went to the finals but last year but you're looking just, at I know Jason Tatum who's just turning 25 not even really just entering his prime Jalen Brown's 26 like you're looking at a team that, that in theory at least is going to have several cracks to win a championship whereas the Bruins you're looking at a team and look I, I've never thought the Bruins are going to be bad over the next few years because they have too many good players but Let's say next year Krejci's not back. Or let's say in two years they don't have Bergeron and Krejci. They don't have a legit top six center right now, to me, on their roster. Right. And they they tried it with Coyle last year. It didn't really work with him as that number two center. In fact, the best thing they did was when after New Year's last year, they moved Eric Holla to the second line center, and it worked pretty well. Which, by the way, what a deal for Pavel Zaki. He's now 18 goals this year, a career high. What a deal to get him. But... I think the thing about the Bruins is there's a sense of finality, at least for the Bergeron, Marshan, Krejci cup chances. Like, look, Mm -hmm. if Bergeron and Krejci left the Bruins after this season, they would not suck, right? Because, look, they have David Pashnok, they have Marshan, they have McAvoy, they have Swayman. They would still be a good team. But there's a difference between being a good team and being a team that can beat Toronto, Tampa, and Carolina in the playoffs, which right now the Bruins are good enough to do that. But I think if they lose one of those pieces, they're not. So I agree with you in that I feel and to me it's not about the points thing. And it's not about the oh, they might go for the points record, they'll be the president's trophy. To me, that's irrelevant because these guys won a cup, been to two more, won a president's trophy. Like that's not new. But the idea of if they don't win it this year, they might not get a chance next year because they won't have those answers at the top two center spots. I think that's where the extra pressure comes in. And I think you look at their playoff opponents, Toronto, we all make fun of them. They lose in the first round every year. At some point, they're going to break through the first round and get to the second round, and that's a damn good roster. And then if they don't and it's Tampa Bay, that's a damn good roster that's been to three straight Stanley Cup finals, right? And then Carolina beat them in the playoffs last year, has been a tough matchup for them over the past couple of years. So, again, I think the Bruins – I would favor them in all those series, but I think it's a difficult road. Whereas if the Celtics, if they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Bucks in a hard-fought series and Giannis goes crazy, yes, it'll be frustrating, but at least we can say, well, Tatum just turned 25. They went to the Finals last year. They got to tweak a little, but you know they should be back in this position in the next several years. Whereas the Bruins... Maybe if everyone comes back, they could be in this position again next year, but that's far from guaranteed with Bergeron and especially Krejci. So I think I agree with you. I think there is more pressure on the Bruins and the Bruins are in an interesting spot because I th- I'm i a big proponent of they do need to rest guys like Krejci, Bergeron. I don't want them playing the back-to-backs on all these weekends, but at the same time, you don't want to limp into the playoffs health-wise. You also don't want to limp into the playoffs playing poorly. And we see, if you look at the Bruins' schedule, a lot of green Ws. But then all of a sudden, before the All-Star break, they had those three straight losses. Boom, they win 10 in a row. But now all of a sudden, they lose to Detroit on Sunday. The day before on Saturday, they won, but they didn't really play that well. They play really poorly uh, Wednesday night against the Blackhawks, especially, or excuse me, I think it was Tuesday, against the Blackhawks. Yeah, Tuesday night, they give up four third-period goals. So I think, and I know the Winnipeg game isn't final yet, but them coming out and playing as well as they did in the first period and scoring two goals, killing off some penalties, I thought was a really encouraging sign. And I know that's weird to say with a team that's won 50 games and is way ahead of everyone else, but 
again, I think you have to balance it because you don't want to limp in unhealthy to the playoffs, but you also don't want to limp in not playing well. And I think the last week they haven't balanced it well, hopefully moving forward because there's still three weeks left. They can get that balance and head into the playoffs healthy and playing well. Yeah. I agree. And, and the thing that I'll even add to your point is I look at this Bruins team as it currently stands. I'm very much aware that they are that they are in a place that they're so far ahead of everyone else that they're, you know, tinkering and trying different things here and there to see what works. That's fine and dandy. But I would also say that you got to be careful because chemistry is a very fickle thing in sports. Once it's gone, it's gone. There's no getting it back. So to, to that, I would say easy down on the tinkering. I'll get that on, on, the, on the blue line. You're going to you know have guys sit on one game, play another game, and so forth. They knew that, that this was going to be the case when they went out and they acquired Dimitri Arloff from – the Washington Capitals oh, in, in that deal that also brought them Garner Hathaway as well, but specifically yeah. all of who has been absolutely phenomenal for the Bruins since it's, since it's um, acquisition. I mean, man, the Bruins know that the time is now and we, we can't even think about next year because there is, we don't know what the status of Bergeron is going to be. What the status of Krejci is going to be. We truly do not know. But what I do know is this. <laughs> I'm going to the way Because there is too many people that I feel like they are, they're not at times. Because everything has been going smooth in Wonderland. And I'm not talking about the blue line up in Revere either. I'm talking about specifically Disney Wonderland for the Bruins, does it mean that, hey, I'm going to need you guys to actually wake up. I'm not saying you're going to win every game, but when you see flaws and when you see certain things that need to be discussed, yeah, you know, that's I'm been an talk issue. about it. Yeah. I want to be the one that talks about it. And, and, and that's, just, that's just the reality of things. So I'll even go as far as to say the following. If there was one thing I am to be concerned about going into the playoffs, I think it's the power play. Because yeah, and I wonder I, I, like how much of that has to do with the, the Taylor Hall play, injury because he was a big piece of that power play, even though he wasn't scoring mountains of goals on the power play. I mean, that's still a really talented really guy. So I do wonder if that's a piece of it. And to your earlier point about the Bruins sensing that this is a – pressure like, like all in your you mentioned the orlov trade <laughs> I mean, look at what they did at the deadline orlov hathaway bertuzzi look at all the draft capital they gave up and look credit to sweeney and that they didn't give up lysel or Lori, and, and they were able to keep those top two prospects which i think is big time but look at all the picks they gave up i mean i think the front office said we are doing this because we think it's going to help us win a stanley cup this year and i think 
on one hand, that filters down to the players and it, it's excitement because they're buying in, mm-hmm. but it does add another layer of pressure because now, okay, they're all in. So I, I think that's something that, to the Great pressure point, point yeah. what they did at the deadline is a clear signal to all of us that they believe this is not only maybe the last chance of Bergeron Krejci to win a cup, but they think it's a real chance to win a cup, not just for nostalgia and Bergeron and Krejci, but they really think it's a real chance. And you're right on the power play. I mean, it's been, I, I do think the Taylor Hall injury has something to do with it. And you just wonder too, and the Celtics are in this spot a little bit. Is there a little bit of the taking the foot off the gas pedal type deal? Like they're so far ahead and they've rested some guys even subconsciously, and Bergeron said it after the Chicago game that you know they they weren't doing the things they need to do to win. And he even said post game, you can get humbled if that happens, no matter who it is. And Chicago humbled them. And I, I do wonder if there's an element because they are so far ahead of even guys on the ice, just subconsciously. Oh, am I going to go for the boards in this puck and r- risk an injury, or am I just going to maybe lose the, just a little bit of the foot off the gas pedal? Which look. If it gets them fully to the playoffs healthy, I can kind of see it, but it's a balance there. You still want to be playing well. And I agree on, on, on that point in terms of what Bergeron said. And it's yeah. a great point that you brought up because it reminds and it should remind everyone, anybody can get it on any given night in the NHL. Even the worst team in the league can come in and beat the best team in the league on a given night. At the real John Lyons, and John J-O-N. What you saw Tuesday night, I mean, it was infuriating. It was maddening. Um, on, on a lot, on various different levels. I mean, just the lack of focus or the, that mental edge that I talked about, I tweeted about during during the game. For those who aren't following me on Twitter, follow me at Shukri Writes. And John, drop your Twitter handle quickly. Like, I, I talked about this, and I was, I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, I know we're in the dog days of the, se- of the regular season where, where you can literally see the finish line. Yeah, but now and we're talking in bigger picture. We're just not nitpicking on just solely on Tuesday night's loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. But you wonder, even with Jerry swimming, because prior to tonight he he really hadn't been playing well, and it looks like tonight he looks like like the, the Jerry swimming of all, where he had his moxie. He he was just confident, doing a spectacular job backing up Linus Olmark. And you know what? You got to give Linus Omar credit here on two fronts. Going into the season, if you told me that Linus Omar was going to be the best goalie in the league, I would have laughed at you until you get out. Number two, if you told me. Yeah, well, dude, I mean, he's leading the triple crown. I mean, wins, goals again. Look, the defense has been good, but I agree with you. You you don't get that just because the the defense in front of you. So is like good. Like, and I said this three weeks ago, and I think I was not the only one to say this. Connor McDavid's the MVP of the NHL. Lena Sulmark has a real case for being second. Like, I mean, he was leading all three of those categories. Last guy to do it when the MVP was Carey Price in 2015. So, look, the defense has been good, which is a good thing. But, I mean, Omar has been spectacular, basically from opening night till the entire season. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Correct. And I mean, and I think that's part of why I think what we're seeing now with this team is it's truly special because I mean, because we don't know what's going to happen once April 17th rolls around. We don't know. But and I mentioned this on Twitter not long ago, and I said, listen, you got to go back to August, like last August. No one in their right mind, no one in New England, no Bruins fan anywhere in the city of Boston or elsewhere was uttering the words that Bruins are going to be the best team in the NHL this upcoming season. No no one thought, no one even expected it. And I even tweeted this out saying that, listen, this first few months are going to be interesting because Marshan is going to be out. He's going to miss significant time, as we thought at the time. McAvoy is going to miss significant time, as we thought at the time. And... Like we and we didn't know when like Matt Grizzick was going to come back um, f- from offseason surgery at that time. We obviously know how things have turned out, and I just think that. Yeah, if, and and I and think I you, you make a good point in that. I mean, if they break the points record, from, that, it's tough to argue they're at the very at worst they're the best Bruins, Bruins regular season of all time because the numbers speak for themselves. But the yeah, I mean, I remember thinking before the season, like if they could get to Marshan's return at five hundred. I was going to feel good because then they'd get Marshan back, McAvoy back. Yeah, and, and then make a run. And then, first of all, and, and you alluded to this, Marshan came back earlier than we expected. McAvoy came back earlier than we expected. And when they came back, Correct. the Bruins were already the best team in hockey. Like I, I, was, I remember looking at those injuries thinking, wow, if they can get to Thanksgiving at 500 and get Marshan and McAvoy back you know, I, in I, December I be and be 500 – they can get in as a wild card and, and they can be okay and, and make a run in the playoffs. And that's what was my mindset. Now my mindset is, oh, well, they need to rest these guys on the back end because they're so good. Like, it's been such, like, I, I, I look, I think you probably agree with me. I, I figured the Bruins were a playoff team. And I figured that if everyone was healthy, they could have a shot to maybe compete for a second in the division, but I didn't think they would run away with the division, especially with those guys potentially missing the first couple months of the season. So it's really been uh, just uh, absolutely amazing where they came from expectation-wise to where they are right now. They are. So, from the Bruins to the Celtics, because the Celtics last night they they had a, a nice bounce back win against the yeah. Timberwolves, one hundred four to one hundred two. But I don't want to talk about just specifically the game. I want to talk about the overall picture as of right now where this team is. Right now, I honestly have I have mixed feelings about this team because at one point the, the Boston Celtics. They were the best team in the NBA. That has long changed thanks to the Milwaukee Bucks, and they're they're playing incredible basketball right now, which 
I remember last season, the Celtics, obviously, they, they went into the playoffs as a number two seed despite getting off to that 18 and 21 start. And we all, we all remember how it ended in the NBA Finals. But looking at this season Celtics team up until this point, I do wonder, prior to their recent struggles, prior to their bounce back winning against the Timberwolves, I wonder if they're missing that disciplinary. I tweeted this out the other night, whereas I don't feel that Joe Mazzula has that iron hammer the way that co- former head coach Emil Odoka did last year. Yeah, it's interesting because... On the defensive side of the basketball, playing smart basketball, like responsible basketball. That's all that, Sorry, you that broke up there. In the first half um, of last season. Yeah, I got you now. So you... John, if, you, if you're looking at the Celtics team right now, and we, we all know that they went out and they... they... Can you hear me? Oh, it's okay. Not c- because like. Three, two, one. Because I wonder between the different coaching styles and just looking at the overall personality of this team, they went out, they, they, they had to overcome the injury to Danilo Gallinari, who's rehabbing right now as we speak. They went out and they got Luke Cornett. They, they went out and they got uh, Muscala as well. And they made the trade in the offseason for Malcolm Brogdon, which, which has fit in very nicely. And I think he should be the leading candidate for the Sixth Man of the Year award in the NBA. John. So it's interesting because last year, the right, NBA the Celtics were a 500 team in January. And I think there were two things right that now, really and- turned them around. Number also, one is they really Jason had a Tatum renewed focus on the defensive end. And I give Ime Odoka credit for that. I give the players also credit for that. The other thing, and it ended up kind of hurting them in the NBA Finals, is Udoka basically yep. started playing seven to eight guys for the remainder of the season. They shortened the rotation down. They played more minutes for Tatum, more minutes for Brown. And that was a huge part of the turnaround. But then we saw Tatum had the most minutes in the NBA by the time the NBA finals were played. He looked, he had 13 assists in game one of the finals and had a big impact. After that, he really had no impact in the finals. So I think that was something that it helped them get there. And I wonder if Joe Mazzula saw that and said, all right, well, I'm going to try to not follow that footsteps in that I'm going to play more guys, even if it costs us some games in February and March. And look, I agree with that overall strategy. The problem right now is they have Robert Williams hurt. Al Horford's been in out of the lineup and they haven't been playing that well. And one thing I don't understand is Derek White has had a phenomenal season. To me, you can make the case he's been their third best player all year. He should be playing a lot more. Like you mentioned before, Brogdon sixth man of the year. And I, I don't disagree, but I think Derek White has a case too. I mean, he's been terrific and he should be playing more late in games. And, and I know Marcus Smart is, you know, the basically I, the I de facto captain of the team. He's the leader, heart and soul, been here since 2014. I get it. But Derek White is a better option, especially on the offensive end right now. And, and I think he should be playing more yeah. late. And it doesn't mean you don't play Marcus Smart late. You can play smart, and then if you have to call a timeout for an out-of-bounds play, bring in Derek White. And I mentioned game one of the NBA Finals. Let's not forget, Marcus Smart didn't play much in the fourth quarter of that game. 
That was largely a Derek White fourth quarter. Remember Draymond Green even said after, like, oh, Derek White's not going to do that again. Like, that was largely a Derek White fourth quarter. So, look, Smart is a huge impact player for this team. I love him watching him. But right now, I feel like Missoula should be playing Derek White more. And if that cuts into the minutes of Smart or Horford or Rob, whoever it is, even Grant, and I know Grant had a couple huge plays the other night, and you mentioned like the different to me, the, the one thing about Udoka style wise is, and I think you can probably agree with this, that dude, he did not give a fuck, right? So if somebody didn't like their rotation or they didn't like where they were too damn bad. And I remember in the playoffs last year, barking at Grant Williams right on the bench, but then you know what? Grant accepted it, took the criticism and had a huge game seven against Milwaukee in the playoffs last year. So the style you worked know, and I'm not saying Missoula, right. his style won't work. But I think it's just something that I think the guys are bought in, but we ha- he hasn't been forced to make too many tough decisions yet. And how is he going to react when he has to make those tough decisions? And I think this white smart thing is one of those early tough decisions. And, and to your second point about Tatum, is he clutch? I mean, I-, I do think he is. I go back to that shot against Philadelphia on Saturday night a couple weeks ago to win it. He's I-, I don't have the exact percentages in front of me, but I think – on shots to tie or take the lead in the game in the last minute, he's like near the top of the league shooting percentage wise. But what is concerning, and we saw this in the NBA finals, and we actually saw it earlier this year against Golden State, the turnovers late. Like I, I'm not worried when Tatum shoots the ball late. Yeah, I'm not worried when he shoots the ball late. I am a little worried when he's dribbling the ball late. Like, and I think so to the clutch point, I think, is he a clutch shooter? Yeah. Overall clutch. I think there's a little bit of work to do. I don't think he's not clutch. Like, I, I don't think he's going to gag games away. But I do think there's it's not complete yet. And I think Jalen yeah. Brown, we saw a lot of huge turnover issues in the NBA Finals last year. I think he's definitely gotten better at that. But that's something, again, it's different now than it's going to be when you play Philly in the second round or Milwaukee in the conference finals. And you really got to have it in those last three minutes. So I trust Tatum as a clutch shooter. I do got to see more out of him, though, as a clutch ball handler because he won the Philly game a couple weeks ago. He won game one against the Nets last year. He had 46 points on the road in game six against Milwaukee last year, down 3-2 in the series. I trust him as a clutch shooter and scorer, but as a total package, clutch ball handler, I, I got to see more. I demand more from Jason Tatum, frankly. Like, I personally don't think he's clutch. Clutch in a sense, the way that you can rely on. And I'm, this is going to be an unfair comparison, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, yeah. I don't think he is as clutch as some of the better players in the NBA. Like, not better players, but some of the much more reliable shooters in the NBA. And I think of like guys like Jamal Murray, for, for example. I mean, I'm not going to compare... Jason Tatum to Steph Curry, and that's just unfair because Steph Curry is obviously the greatest yeah. shooter that God created. But there are moments, in, in, and you made you brought up a point about the turnovers. I am worried because turnovers are the thing that's going to kill you in the NBA playoffs, especially when every possession matters, especially you get inside of those last two minutes of the fourth quarter. Like, who has the basketball? Like, 
who who's got who's got a foul hole? Like you got to get to the free throw line. You got to make your shots, or you're going to be able to maintain possession of the basketball. Tatum has had a problem with this you. year with that, and Jalen Brown at times, but not always, but at times that's been an issue. And I yeah. sure and I sure as hell I've said this last year, but there are times I'm like, stop giving Marcus Smart the basketball in key moments. Because he really pisses me off with his shot selection at times. But especially when he, when he misses. It's not just that when he misses, he misses. He misses huge. He misses like, oh, my God, we needed that shot. We need that possession. And then, oh, by the way, the offensive rebounding is not there. And I'm not pinning that on Marcus Rob, like, per se. But you don't have guys that are in the paint that can get that rebound and get that extra 13 seconds of possession. So my concern for the Celtics right now, and this is not doom and gloom, because I still think they can't come out of the East, but they do have major question marks. Jason Tatum, can he limit the turnovers? Number two, how will Joe Mazzula handle the test of, of being able to handle the pressure and making critical decisions in pressure moments during the NBA playoffs? That is something that I am genuinely curious to see. And lastly, what are what are we going to see the Celtics do in terms of handling Tatum's minutes coming down the stretch? Because you have to be able to keep him fresh. He may say that he wants to play, but him carrying a heavy yeah, workload is not going to do some of this to me. And I mentioned Missoula making the hard to, decisions. To I think some of this is connected to that Celtics because I said. That Tatum being out of gas was a major reason why they lost the NBA Finals last year. I think that's the second most important reason. The number one most important reason was because they had trouble scoring in the last five minutes of games. Game five against Milwaukee, they had a lead with under five minutes. They lost. Game six against Miami, they had a lead under five minutes. Lost. Game seven against Miami, they had a 13-point lead with three minutes to go. Jimmy Butler missed shot away from losing. Game four against Golden State. They're up 2-1 to one in the series at home, lead with less than five minutes to go, and they can't score, and they lose. So why do I bring that up? Well, they went out and got Malcolm Brogdon in large part to help with that. So they're going to have to figure out. They're going to have closing lineups that might be Brogdon, Derek White, Tatum, Brown, Rob Williams. There might be other nights that it's Horford, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, and Tatum. Like, Missoula is going to have to figure out some of those decisions, but it's going to be on the players to buy into that. And maybe it's going to be Tatum taking the big shot, but maybe it's going to be Malcolm Brogdon bringing the ball up so that you don't have to worry about the turnovers as much. Or maybe it's going to be Al Horford. One game has the key play in the last five minutes in the next game or next series based on matchups. He's sitting those last five minutes. So I think when you look at this, I agree with you. I think, they should be in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucs. Like, I think that's with the talent and with their experience last year, that's where they should be. But if they're going to do that, they're going to probably have to beat Cleveland in the second round or Philly. And Cleveland's given them a lot of trouble this year because Cleveland has executed better late in games and in overtime. They've beaten the Celtics multiple overtime games. I think three times they've beaten them in overtime. And then Philly... I, look, I think the Celtics are better than Philly, but Embiid's an MVP-level player. Tyrese Maxey's really good. James Harden seems to have figured out his role there, too. That's not an easy series. Like, that's a series that I could see them winning in five games, but all five games yeah. being very close. And if they don't play well near the end, 
all of a sudden, maybe boom, they're down three to two in a series like that. So to me, I think their ability to execute in the last five minutes offensively is going to make or break whether or not they win a championship. Because if they could do it, they would have won a championship last year. Last question before I wrap up the podcast. Turn to the Patriots just real quick. I'm concerned. Like, I know we live in a world in which that we need instant reactions to when things happen in sports, especially if your team is quote-unquote behind the A-ball. But, man, Aaron Rodgers going to the New York Jets, and he's going to end up with the Jets. It's It's not even a question of is he. It's a question of when it does happen. Aaron Rodgers in the, in the AFC East is going to create a massive problem for the New England Patriots. I have not liked what I've seen so far, keyword, so far as of this recording. Maybe it changes overnight. Maybe it changes tomorrow. Who knows? But I ex- I'm expecting a lot more from Bill Belichick for what is going to be a critical year, especially um, for both him and as well as Mac Jones, because right now, Mac Jones' career with the Patriots is hanging in the balance. So my final question to you to wrap up the podcast is where do you foresee the Patriots going direction wise or do they even Yeah, have so a first of all, I think Juju Smith-Schuster in the long run is going to give them the same Jacoby Myers, Myers gave them. He might even be an upgrade over the long haul. However, don't be surprised the if the season starts a little bit slow like most new receivers in New England and Myers. don't get me wrong either. They could have brought Myers back and signed Smith-Schuster. Like it wasn't an either or. They they could have done both. But I think Smith-Schuster will be a good addition. And you bring up an interesting point about the direction because heading into this offseason, I looked at by far their most important need was to get a competent offensive coordinator. By far their most important need. And they did that. So they have, again, and this is a team, they went 8-9, and and if they don't give up two bad special teams plays, a kickoff return for a touchdown, and a roughing the punter penalty on Thanksgiving or running into the punter penalty on Thanksgiving night, They probably win nine games and they're in the playoffs or two kickoff returns for touchdowns against the Bills in week 18. They probably win that game and they're in the playoffs as bad as they're off. And I could I wrote a whole article for the New England Football Journal about this, about all the games they screwed up in the fourth quarter. Baltimore, they had the ball twice down 31, 26, turned it over both times. Right. Green Bay, first and 10 at the 50 in overtime, couldn't get a first down one first down. They probably kick a field goal and win. Right. So they had a lot of opportunities here to win more games than they did. And now they finally have a competent offensive coordinator. Problem for them is the Jets have Aaron Rodgers. You're not just going to sweep the Jets like you're used to doing. You're going to split with them at best. And I think getting the competent offensive coordinator, and I I know I keep using the word competent. Bill O'Brien is a really good off. Well, but no, Bill O'Brien's really good. He's more than competent. But last year, what we saw was not even competent, right? So Bill O'Brien is at least really good. So that was number one. Number two, they got to figure out right tackle. And I don't think they've done that yet. Maybe no, Riley Reef is that guy, but I, I don't know. And then they yeah. need a corner. And I know they brought Jonathan Jones back. I wouldn't be shocked if Jonathan Jones or Jalen Mills is their free safety next year. And they still bring in another corner because they need a corner who's long. Because what happened last, Jonathan Jones, my opinion, best slot corner in the NFL. I thought he played really well on the outside last year, except when he played Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs. Two guys that were just as athletic as him but also a lot bigger. And I think they're lacking that on defense. And then, of course, 
right? The obvious one, wide receiver. And by the way, they got to fix their special teams. I mean, that, that's killed them the last it's it's really been embarrassing considering how good they were at special teams and how it made the difference some years winning super bowls what we've seen the last two years on special teams has been really embarrassing so they got to fix that but the other position look wide receiver okay what what are they going to do because look i think with a good offensive coordinator and bill o'brien we either kendrick Bourne or Devontae parker one of them is going to have a really good year then maybe it's Kendrick Bourne closer to the 2021 year with 800 receiving yards. Maybe it's Devontae Parker close to 2019 with 70 catches. One of them is going to have a good year. I think Tyquan Thornton could have an impact, but even still, that's not enough, right? They got And I like Juju Smith-Schuster. If Juju Smith-Schuster is your number three guy with Devontae Parker and on one spot and then another legit guy at the one, then you're pretty good. you know. Or if Kendrick Bourne is that third or fourth option, but right now, like Devonte Parker's kind of your one, Smith Schuster's like your two. Like I, I like him. Like I think, and everybody throws around the name Jerry Judy. Look, whether it's Jerry Judy, whether they surprise us and throw in an offer for a guy like DK Metcalf, or whether it's DeAndre Hopkins, one of those guys I think is something that they need there, and, and they need a guy that not, look. It doesn't enough. have to be Randy Moss in 07 catching 23 touchdown passes, but at least has to be a guy that defenses have to dictate their coverage to. And they have to worry about it. And we've seen it. Every time they've won a Super Bowl, Shukri, they, duh, they had Tom Brady. I get it. But they also had some sort of high-end weapon defenses had to worry about. And look, 2001, it was Troy Brown with 101 catches. 2004, it was Corey Dillon who set the team record in rushing yards. Other years, it was Rob Gronkowski or Julian Edelman or Dion Branch. It doesn't have to be Randy Moss, but it has to be somebody the defense, and I don't think it can be Ramondre Stevenson. And I love him. I think he's a star. It's just the nature of the league. A running back is not going to be that guy. So I think they need a guy that defenses have to look at and say, we have to stop that guy. And I don't think they have that guy right now. So that, to me, is the next step. So if you're asking me no. what I want to see between now and August, I want to see an answer at right tackle, and I think that could be their first-round pick, a tackle that can probably play left tackle eventually and some answers there. A long outside corner and another real weapon at wide receiver. I think if they do those three things, they can be a playoff team next year. If they don't, they're going to have a lot of trouble because they're playing in arguably the toughest division in football if Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Jets. Yes, I'm happy to be part of the Believe Network. My show is called Coach Time on the Believe Network. So you can find that really wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere uh, on the Believe site as well. So you, And by the way, folks, you're in luck because in a few weeks, I think we're going to have Shukri on there. So if you like Shukri, I'll have him too. So, but look, I'm happy to be on the Believe Network. You can also find me on Twitter at The Real John Lyons, New England Football Journal. And of course, as you mentioned earlier, Sports Map Radio. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. John Lyons, thank you so much for joining the um, Believe in Hub of Champions podcast. We will definitely talk in a few weeks. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.